Jedi Squadron is a podcast run by the Anime Secrets website. Check us out at AnimeSecrets.org for more anime, video game, tokusatsu, and now Star Wars content. Remember to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Hello, new Padawans, and welcome to the Jedi Squadron podcast. Here, you will be taking lessons in the many pieces of the Star Wars universe, whether it be the movies, animated series, video games, comics, and etc. This is your training into becoming a Star Wars fan as part of the Jedi Squadron. May your training go well, and may the Force be with you, young Padawans. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Jedi Squadron, hosted by AnimeSecrets.org. I'm your host, Rizwan Merchant, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Dessau, and a really special guest for the podcast. Uh, this is our first guest for the podcast, and I'm really excited to introduce my longtime friend, Mr. Don Russo, who uh, in the past, he was the owner and uh, organizer for MechaCon over in New Orleans, Louisiana. So I'm really happy to have him here today to talk about what I think will be a very interesting topic, the Disney Galactic Star Cruiser, which recently was announced to be setting down later this year. So without further ado, uh, Nate, John, if you want to say hello, and we can kind of kick off. Hello. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Yeah, I just want to get you all a quick chance to say hi before we jump into stuff. But um, so I don't know a lot about this correctly. This is a Star Wars podcast. Hello there, General Kenobi. So actually, funny thing, and I'm hoping my friend listens to this. But um, so given my family and I am Muslim. We actually, I saw a girl on Twitter recently come out and make a meme saying Salam there in place of hello there. And I absolutely love that meme. I think it's fantastic. Um, but that's my first chance into the podcast. Um, well, I, I believe it is the proper greeting. Assalamu alaikum. Yes, it is. But we certainly said salams. Okay. Salam. Yeah. So, um, I'll be honest, I don't know a whole ton about the Galactic Star Cruiser beyond what little I've read on the internet and the videos I've seen and a couple of posts by friends who have been there, one being John. So, John, if you could just kind of tell us, what was it like, this this experience? Like, what did you walk in expecting? What were the things that were advertised to you to make you want to go? Well... Uh, they had to just say they were going to do it to make me want to go, to be honest. Um, uh, back in 2017, when they were talking about uh, Galaxy's Edge that they were building over at both uh, Disneyland and Disney World, uh, Disney also mentioned that once Galaxy's Edge was open and running well, they were going to be doing a Star Wars hotel, which was going to be completely immersive and bringing you into the Star Wars universe. And as soon as I heard that, you know, we were working on something – Similar, obviously, we didn't have the Disney money. Uh, something similar with MechaCon with Crescent Station in New Orleans. And I was just floored by the announcement that they were going to be doing something like this. And uh, I decided right then and there, you know, as a Star Wars fan, I said, you know what? I don't care how much this thing costs because it's not going to be cheap. Uh, I'm going to go to this. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm committing to it now. This was back in 2017. 
And so I just listened, you know, with bated breath, you know, to, for anything, any, any word I could hear, uh, about this. And, uh, you know, a lot of Disney files, um, heard about it too. And a lot of them were like, well, it's just going to be a themed hotel. It's not going to be as immersive as you think it is. I'm like, no, no, no. No, they said it's going to be a merch where you're going to feel like you stepped into Star Wars. And I believe that's what it's going to be. And they're like, yeah, don't get the hopes up. And I'm like, I'm going to see what they're offering. And then uh, D23 came along in 2019 when they announced the Galactic Star Cruiser. And I, I was just floored. I was like, nobody ever thought. You know, I, I thought that they were going to make a Star Wars hotel that seemed like an Imperial base or a Rebel base or something like that. Never in a million years did I, I think, wait a minute, this is going to be a cruise ship. The whole concept here is you are boarding a cruise ship and going on a cruise as if you were leaving, you know, from New Orleans to go to Belize or something like that. That that was the plan with the Galactic Star Cruiser. And I was like, okay, I'm in. I want to see how this is. And I said, for them to do this right, this is going to be at least a thousand dollars. So I'm going to start saving now. And at that point, I did start saving. And as I heard more about what they were planning on doing, I was like, oh, hey, this is going to be a little more expensive than I expected. All right, I'm thinking it'll be probably about $1,500 to $2,000. I'm going to shoot for two grand, save my pennies now, and whatever it is, I'll just use the rest for a plane ticket, and, you know, that way I'll just fly to Disney. Well, um, time went on, and then they announced the prices, and I was like, whew, I'm glad that uh, I didn't lowball this. You know, and I think that caught a lot of people off guard. Um, I was expecting it, totally expecting the, the price. I had already saved a lot of money for it. Um, and I was just like, okay, this is, they definitely are not lowballing it. But that, that led to my excitement being increased because I knew that at these prices, this was going to be something spectacular. And so, you know, the time came for, to make our reservations. We made them. Uh, we took the last voyage of 2022. We were, uh, we boarded on, uh, December 28th and, uh, off boarded on, um, December 30th. And it was, it was a heck of a way to, uh, close out, uh, 2022, which was a, a rough year for a lot of people with the economy and everything being as it was. Um, I'm glad that I didn't wait to uh, save up money for it because when the economy started tanking in 2022, if I had been at that time trying to save up money, I probably wouldn't have been able to go. But, you know, as as the fates would have it, uh, I was able to go, and uh, we, we got excited. And um, by the end of it, we ended up, you know, I, I wanted some spending money that I didn't have and everything, so we decided instead of flying, we were going to drive, save our plane ticket money for um, – for our own use there because we stayed uh, at an offsite hotel the the night before and the night after. Um, but anyway, that's uh, I just felt like I needed to lead all that up to to what I was expecting when I walked in. Um, so when I when I walked into the well, it's not you don't walk into the <laughs> into the Galactic Star Cruiser. It, it's it, one does not simply walk into the Galactic Star. Um, no, you drive up and, uh, there's a, a terminal area where they take, uh, you, it's from the moment you drive up, it is, it's complete VIP treatment. Uh, you have, uh, people that come to help you get your stuff out of your baggage, out of your, uh, car. And you have a person right there with a pad checking you in, making sure you have everything you need. And then they have a queue that they put people in and they let a few people in at a time. 
And um, so you, you get in there and they give you your magic band and everything. And you're like, well, what about my luggage? You're like, your luggage will be waiting for you. Oh, okay. So again, full VIP experience. Now, the, the thing you got to remember about the Galactic Star Cruiser is that Disney, since day one, has said that this was going to be a boutique experience. This was going to be a luxury VIP experience. And like with anything, anywhere, you use words like boutique, luxury, VIP. There's going to be a price tag attached to it. And that's with anything. And um, so... I honestly, I got a little bit more of a VIP treatment than I was expecting. And, uh, they were just, they were very attentive to everything we could possibly need. So, uh, we were waiting in the queue and just the excitement is building, it's building. And then, um, you go to the launch pod and these doors open and it's, it's this little launch shuttle pod thing. And you go in there and the door closes and you hear engines firing up and you have these little windows at the top and you get to actually see your, your pod lifting off from uh, Earth, and then you go into hyperspace, and then when you come out of hyperspace, you see a star field, and then you see a little robot come up with an arm that comes up in your ear, like a clang-clang, and it grabs onto your uh, shuttle pod, and then it turns you, and you actually see your approach to the star cruiser. And you're looking at these windows going, wow, I'm about to board that thing. This is really awesome. And so you get there, you hear the loud clanging and and stuff of the, the docking and everything, and then the doors open, and there's a team of, of cast members right there waiting at the door to escort you on. And each person on that elevator has a specific concierge for their party who approaches you and then proceeds to walk you to your room and explain everything you need to know basic about the, the facility and everything. And you walk in, and as soon as those doors open and you walk in, you're just floored. It's beautiful. It is so gorgeous um I, I love that they themed it the Cinderella star line because uh if if you watch andor um anybody that has watched andor is familiar with uh mon mothma and her residence and how nice and chic and just really high class that whole environment mon mothma is in that is what the star cruiser was it was that environment and uh you just walked in and everything was beautiful and clean and gleaming and it smelled amazing. And it just, you, you're kind of overwhelmed as soon as you walk in. Cause as soon as you walk in over to your left is the doors to the bridge with a big window where you see the bridge and you can see the, uh, the big windows and the bridge and you, you see where you're orbiting Chandrilla and it's just, ah, breathtaking. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was, it was a little overwhelming. When, when we walked in and, uh, we eventually got taken to our room and the room was amazing. The little, the bunk beds that people were like, oh, they look so tiny. Uh, Travis is six foot two and he took the top bunk and he was able to stretch out completely and still had room below, below his feet and his head. It just looks small. It's not. It goes into the wall. So, um, that. Pretty awesome. Yeah, the the rooms, you know, people have been talking about little room and stuff, but it wasn't. It was very comfortable. We had five people, I'm sorry, four people in our party, and uh, it was very comfortable. Uh, and really, the, the the thing is about this experience, and we didn't realize how busy we'd be. You don't spend a lot of time in the room. You go in the room to sleep, to do your restroom business, and that's it. 
you you're immediately you get dressed, you head right back out. And the thing is that when you get in there, you know, at the end of the day, you're so exhausted. You just drop down on the bed. You knock out. When you wake up next morning, hey, it's time to you know, do a quick uh, SSS and get dressed and get back out there, you know. And um, so for what the room is used for, it was the perfect size. It really was. And we had four adults in there, and uh, everybody had their own bed. And, uh, in fact, the uh, there's another bed in the room that people don't usually see that's actually folded into the wall. It's a complete twin-sized bed that you can pull down where my daughter slept. Pete and Travis each took one of the um, one of the uh, bunk beds because they both wanted to sleep in the wall. So I was like, I guess that leaves me with the big bed. So that, yeah, that works out perfectly, huh? Right. Well, you know, I've got my back-to-tank, a.k.a. my CPAP machine. So, you know, that would have been hard for me to be in one of the bunks um, mm-hmm. with that. So it, it, it worked out with me being in a larger bed and being able to put that on the table and have the tubes and stuff. You know, but um, yeah, it uh, it just blew our minds. It was it was we I'd seen so many videos, photos, pictures, and stuff, but it it none of that could prepare you for being there because within half hour, you believe you're on a starship. You believe that you're, you know, as soon as you you get checked into your room, you you headed back out and. You get checked in at one o'clock, and they're like, "Hey, if you're hungry, go grab some lunch downstairs in the uh, in in the Crown of Corellia um, dining room." And you go, and all the foods included. We never went hungry, never went thirsty. All the food is completely included in your package, and it is all top tier gourmet food. I mean, it blew my mind. You think not being in Louisiana, the food might be kind of bland, and you know, we we are spoiled here. We we have a lot of amazing food. We have the best food in the world, in my opinion. And um, you you travel to other places. Uh, like last year, my wife and I went to Maine, and she was looking forward to some Maine lobster. And she's like, it was bland. It wasn't great. You know, we do it better in Louisiana. You know, and we were expecting that, but that was not the case in Galactic Star Cruises. The food was just top tier. Uh amazing amazing stuff and i'm really hoping that they uh release a cookbook at least to uh because they do have a cookbook for galaxy's edge but i'd love for them to release a cookbook for a galactic star cruiser because the food was the bantha steaks oh my god riz it was the best steak i've ever eaten in my life i mean uh, travis and i both look, we're foodies you know and we looked at each other it's like oh my god <laughs> and you get three of them and so good what is the panther stick? I'm very. I don't know, but it was delicious. It was the best meat I've ever eaten in my life. It was. Was it, was it like chicken or beef? It was beef. It was definitely beef. Ooh. I don't know what kind of beef it was. I think they may have been fillets, maybe, but I don't know what they what they marinated them in or what. But oh my god, the panther stick. I will never, for as long as I live, forget the Bantha steaks. The Bantha steaks were just utterly phenomenal. And if you ask Travis and Peter what was your favorite food on the house, they'll both say the Bantha steaks. Um, wow. Kirsten, of course, uh, who also came with us, she was pescatarian at the time. Um, she ate the seafood, so she was all about the blue shrimp. Um, <laughs> but, oh, yeah, for us, it was the Bantha steaks. And and that's that's the dinner stuff. We're, right now we're talking about lunch. If you just go down there, lunch was served galley stuff. And you had uh, these compartmentalized trays, and food portions were perfectly measured out, and the tray could fit certain foods and stuff. And you go and you sit down, and you eat. If you want more, you go back and get more. It's all included, 
you know. Uh, but honestly, the way they portion out the food, it's perfect. As soon as you finish eating what's on your plate, you're full. Um, you had your choice of blue and green milk. Both of them were amazing. Uh, I think one of them was coconut milk. I'm not sure what the other one. I think the other one might have been or something. I don't know. But it, was, it had slight flavors to them, and they were, they were pretty good. Um, and, of course, there was calf. you got to have calf when you're in Star Wars. Um, you know, and that that was uh, – this is all within the first half there. And uh, one of the things that, that my daughter, who is a big fan of sparkling water, loved was there's actually a – in the atrium area, there's a portion of the wall that uh, has three spigots. And uh, one of the spigots is sparkling water on tap. The other is ice water on tap. The other is uh, what they call ambient water, which is room temperature water on tap. So you never needed to go look for water there, right there at the wall. You go, you grab a cup, you pour yourself some water, and you drink it. Um, If you weren't hungry enough to go down to the galley to eat something in the restaurant or anything, they had snacks over in the uh, atrium. Uh, Popcorn and uh, they, they had names for them, obviously, for all these things. These wonderful shortbread cookies that were amazing. And then uh, then there was um, my favorite place in the entire Star Cruiser, and I think that was pretty much the favorite haunt of uh, all of my smugglers that uh, went on this trip was the Sublight Lounge. Um, Sublight Lounge uh, is a bar, and that is the only place aside from the gift shop with the Cinderella collection where you actually have to spend money. If you buy alcoholic drinks, you have to pay for your alcoholic If you order non-alcoholic drinks, it's included. You don't pay for that. Um, the bar food. You can order as much bar food as you want. It's all included. Um, and it was, again, gourmet. Gourmet bar food. I've never heard of such a thing, but it was there. Our fruits are. Um, That's really amazing. We never went. Oh, my God. Everything was so, so incredible. I, I have video of uh, there's this cheese tray we got. Uh, it was a smoked cheese tray. They, they lift up the little uh, dome and smoke as it walks away from it and you hear Travis going oh god that smells so good <laughs> and uh yeah it was a uh, you know it, and this is this is all first night I mean we we um we were like okay we're gonna go in with an open mind not sure what we're doing but we're a couple of smugglers and um doing our thing we're on the house end I said basically my my story on my guy Junus Jenker um his deal was that he had some information that he needed to bring uh, discreetly to Ogabar on um, Batu, and they decided that the best way to bring this information would be to hide amongst civilians um, on a pleasure cruise uh, as vacationers. And uh, that was the whole idea, was that we were there pretending to be um, tourists to go to Batu. And we were just there to fit in with the regular folk. And um, shortly thereafter, we had what was called bridge training. Everybody gets an opportunity to patrols on the bridge, which uh, was fantastic. Uh, you get to go into hyperspace and stuff. And, oh, oh, God, I want to <laughs> Just thinking about it, man, I miss it so much. Oh, you don't... You, Riz, you just don't know, man, until you're standing on the bridge of a spacecraft that goes into hyperspace. I've got a video. I'll send it to you. It's Yeah, please it, do. And um, 
I have a lot of questions now, but Nate, if you have any questions, I go for it first, and I can ask to find out. Finish real quick about the uh, the the screens, um, the viewport, not just the hyperdrive, but you see this huge viewport that that it's just from wall to wall, and it, it's you got spacecraft and stuff. But then when you go out to the atrium, there are side viewports that are linked in to the main viewport. Where if you see a TIE fighter fly across in front of the ship and then come off to the side, you see it past that window on the side. And then, as if that's not enough, every screen in the rooms were linked to the screens on the bridge. Which means if that TIE fighter passes the bridge, passes the atrium, and you happen to have your room on that side of the ship, that TIE fighter's passing by your window. Everything was locked in. Everything was synced up, and you just, yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> I mean, that's really spectacular. And I mean, that's not even going into the whole experience side of it. That's the you know presentation, really. So, I have some questions, like I said, but Nate, if you have anything you want to start off with, I'd love to have you go first. I mean. <clears throat> I think he pretty much explained his experience uh, pretty good. I, uh, I mean, uh, oh, that's just that was just the introduction. <laughs> the experience hadn't happened. Yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you know, just more details about the experience would be great because I mean, because here's the funny thing. Uh, like, part of me, uh, my my wife actually kind of uh, did some. My wife is uh, like. Uh, a huge Disney file, like she she loves going to uh, Disney World, but she also knows that, and you know she she likes Star Wars too, and you know she did some research about the Galactic Star Cruiser, and uh, you know she actually told me that she really wanted to try to get us a room, but uh, we didn't really have the money to do that. So I don't know. I mean, just hearing about you know even more of the experience would just be great. But I mean, if Riz wants to ask questions, uh, he can go ahead. So. I mean, but yeah, it's it sounds amazing. I'm not gonna lie. It really, really was. And and the thing is, you know, you, you touched on the thing about uh, couldn't afford to go. Um, honestly, and and that's that's the case with more people than not that the price is a thing. But I believe that given time, people would have done what I did. I mean, I got to jump on. It. I, I determined to do this as soon as I heard about it. Um, given time, people would have saved the money and gone. Uh, you know, you might not have been able to afford it right out the gate, but had it kept going, I mean, we were planning on going back, and that would have meant starting to save all over from scratch again, but it's doable. I mean, once I saw your photos from the experience, Don, that's what inspired me to start thinking about going, maybe not this year, but definitely next year. Yeah. Well, so when I thought I needed a break that they're closing, that, that kind of hit me a little bit because I really wanted to go experience it for myself after seeing your experiences on Facebook. And I think everybody felt that way, honestly. And even the people who were hating on it, I think secretly were just going to hate on it until they got a chance to do it. They were going to hate on it as long as they couldn't. But when the time came, they were going to be happy to go do it. Um, Go ahead. I have a question that I'm trying to understand. So when you entered in the beginning, like when they were bringing you to the space ship and they had the concierge at the front, Mm-hmm. Were you guys already attired in your in a costume, or were y'all? In- we did. Yes, we we showed up in costume. And is that the is that the normal? Do people come in costume? Most people changed one once they were on board. 
but some people did. Okay. And then once you're on board, I'm assuming you have to remain in costume. You don't have to do anything. Oh, really? You can you can strip down to, to shorts and a t-shirt if you want. I mean, that might, you know, pull other people out of the experience. Right. But I mean, it's, you know, it's it's your own journey. And then, I mean, we had a guy walking around in steampunk wear with a big top hat. And, I mean, he was a nice guy, but Travis kept talking about how a top hat guy kept pulling him out of it. And he was, he was kind of annoyed about that. But, I mean, you know, people are people. And then there was one guy who, you know, I actually uh, kept my cool. He came and grabbed a piece of my cosplay and shook it and said, what's this do? And I, and I looked at him. The guy was obviously drunk. He'd been drinking the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at him and just said, it blinks. And I gave him that, you know, uh, John Russo look. You've seen it before, Riz. The one, <laughs> the one where it says, uh, you need to step back now. And uh, he, he eventually stumbled off. But, uh, you know, uh, there there were some people who were there because kids wanted to go and they didn't really be there. And they were just having a bad time of the whole thing. And, you know, that led me to, to something that I told a lot of people who were considering it. I said, the thing about the Galactic Star Cruiser is you get out of it what you put into it. If you go into it thinking that you're going to fully engage and you're going to have the experience of a lifetime, that's exactly what you're going to get. You're going to have the experience of a lifetime and you'll never, ever forget it. If you go in there thinking that it's lame and it's overpriced and that you're not going to have fun, you know what? The cast is going to do their best to engage you, but if you're just not doing it, you're not going to have a good time, and you're going to think it's lame, and you're going to think it's overpriced, and that was the case with this guy. In fact, uh, he was such a gentleman that he spun his wheels when, they, when we all left the Star Cruiser. He spun his Mercedes-Benz tires as he was leaving to make sure everybody knew his exit was at him. Mm-hmm. You know, so that goes to show what kind of, you know, there, there were definitely some detractors to the experience. Yeah, that's interesting because the impression I got reading, and, you know, like I said, I don't know as much about it as I said. Um, you know, it just seemed like it, it was part of the expected protocol that if you're coming to this experience, you're dressed up, you're in costume, you have a, presumably have a backstory, like a role play type thing. I guess the way I, the way I envisioned this when I heard about it and then looked into it more, was a really extravagant um, LARP. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much what it is, yeah. But the thing is that not everybody goes there with that intention. And yeah. it's required. That's very interesting, yeah. The cast will definitely engage with you more if you are. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many people wanted to hear my veteran tales because, you know, my character was a veteran of the Rebellion. And uh, I had this one story about that time I got to see Darth Vader. And, uh, of course, every time I mentioned, hey, did you hear about the time I got to see Darth Vader, Travis and Peter? I was like, oh, God, not this story again. You know, that was part of their character thing. My guy kept talking about how he got to see Darth Vader once and nobody believes him. So uh, eventually it got to the point where uh, Travis said he was in a gift shop and uh, he heard some of the cast members talking about, did Did you hear about the uh, vet from the Rebellion who uh, saw Darth Vader? Yeah, we got a guy on board. He said he actually saw Darth Vader. Because they were all in character and everything. And to them, that was really cool. And they engaged with that. And it was awesome. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I want to go back. So, I guess to kind of segue back to Nate's uh, thing from earlier. So, you kind of walked us through the introduction. But 
what what did y'all do for two days? Well, somebody that might be listening who's still planning on going on the on the thing, mm-hmm. but you it's kind of a create your own adventure kind of thing. Um, you have a data pad, which is your phone, or if you don't have a smartphone, they have um older iPhones that they loan out that you can use to um it have part of your uh experience. And the data pad is central, and um. In our case, we didn't really mess with the data pad much um, at first. And then when we went on our bridge training, uh, afterwards, uh, basically our uh, mission when we did bridge training was to safely bring Gaia aboard. And Gaia is the galactic superstar with basically the Celine Dion of Star Wars, who, by the way, oh, my God, what a talent. I became a fan. Uh, beautiful voice. Oh, the pipes on that lady. Um, but our mission was to bring her safely aboard. At that point, we met Wraith Cole, who recognized my crew as scoundrel. And we basically, I, I don't know exactly how the Disney magic works, but we started getting messages from Wraith Cole telling us things that he needed us to do to help him. And so we started doing the little missions that um, the the data pad would give us. And those actually translated down to your Batu excursion the following day. So the first night was basically just getting feet under you. And then uh, you have the big Gaia concert at the dinner. Um, you have this five-star dinner. Oh, my God. So, gosh, so amazing. That was where we had the Bantha Steaks and uh, – Lots of other, it was like a seven course meal. It was so phenomenal. And in the meantime, you've got this concert going on by, uh, this, this diva of the galaxy, Gaia. And, um, it, it was just beautiful. And, uh, oh, before that happens, uh, a Star Destroyer shows up and a, uh, First Order officer by the name of Lieutenant Harmon Croy, uh, shows up and says he's going to stay on board because he got report that there were uh, re- uh, resistance sympathizers on board, and he's there to sniff them out. And he's got a pair of stormtroopers with him, and these stormtroopers just basically just patrol throughout the whole ship. And they they were kind of intimidating, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and uh, they they were they were so emotive without saying much. They had pre-programmed things that they, um, but. They could emote so well without words, just in body language when they were interacting with you and stuff. And uh, there was also the droid. Uh, name. Oh, there's also a concierge droid in your room. Uh, she's pretty great. D309, what's her name? Um, and it, basically when I say in your room, you have a wall pad, which um, she comes up and tells you, answers your questions, tells you what the planet and blah 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 there's one thing that i recently found really key and um i, I know that uh, a friend of mine who told me that she wanted to bring her husband for their 20th wedding anniversary uh to the galactic star cruiser but now they can't um i told her about this d309 actually has an option for you to do a ceremony where you can renew your vows and uh somebody actually videoed it and uh, I saw it, and it was the sweetest, most wonderful thing. You could hear the 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 lady, you know, you could hear her crying, you know, while she was repeating the words that 
you know, D309 was telling her to repeat and stuff. And it was just those little things. There's so many little bitty things that just completed it. You know, um, I have a poster up in my work and, um, it's basically just one of those motivational posters and it's a picture of a rose. And on the rose is, is a thousand dewdrops and it says magnificence. And, uh, I don't remember the exact word of right now, but it basically, uh, knowing that it's the thousands of tiny details you don't notice that you notice that separates magnificence from mediocrity. And they, at every turn, oh my god, it was so complete, it was so, they were so attentive to detail, the cast members were in character the whole time. Like, there was one point where Travis, when we were at dinner, and Travis just started grinning, and I'm like, what? And he says, those two guys behind me? I said, yeah, and it was Wraith Cole and uh, one of the other cast members, he said, they've been talking for the last five minutes in years. No one's there, no one can barely hear them. So they're just having a conversation in the universe. This is so freaking cool. You know, and that was the kind of thing. that They stayed in character the entire time and uh, just really made the whole experience true. So, uh, yeah, you had Lieutenant He came to the dinner and stuff and made a spectacle of himself and stuff. Guy had disarmed him because apparently, and when I say disarmed him, uh, he was apparently a fan of God. Uh, so she was able to get a fill out. Be such a g bag. <laughs> um, and again, this is all the first night, and then uh, we spent a lot of time in the satellite lounge, just kind of singing stuff, uh, exploring the ship. Went down to the engine brig and uh, the climate simulator. The climate simulator is a room on the Star Cruiser, which, uh, according to the lore, is always programmed to the climate. Of destination planet that you're going to so that you can acclimate yourself before heading down to the planet. If you're like from if you're from like an ice world with Pantora you go spend a little time in the climate simulator, get your body used to the warmer climate before you go down to Batu. Which is cool. Uh, That's really awesome. That yeah. they thought of all these different details. Right. And I mean the truth of the matter is, you know, this is Disney the truth of the matter is it's just it's a pavilion that's open to the outside. Yeah, you know, and that's that's really it's, it's where you can get some fresh air. But they call it the climate simulator, and um, you know that that's really cool. In fact, uh, when you uh, the next day they have shuttles that run from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, back and forth from Batu to the ship, and uh, when you go before you you don't just go get on the shuttle. You go into the climate simulator. People to put on the shuttle. They give everyone a little pin. Uh, which is, um, it's, in fact, I have it right here. It says, Sigil of the Select, your journey honored. And they tell you, put this pin on, and when you're down on Batu, people will know that you were with the Star Cruiser, which was basically Star Cruiser speak of, this is your VIP badge. Um, so you, you, you get into the, uh, into the waiting area, and then the door opens, and you get into the shuttle. And people have always thought, oh, it's a box truck. Yeah, it's a box truck. It's a box truck to the tune of a million dollars per truck that they put into making this thing seem like a shuttlecraft. Um, I actually have a good authority that those three trucks that they did cost $3 million. So, that is insane. That's the kind of dedication that Disney put into this thing. And frankly, you know, 
the first uh, the first ride to Batu, you couldn't really tell you were on a truck. You just felt like you were on a ship. You felt like you were on a shuttle. Um, it was smooth, and we got there, and you had a droid talking to you. It was playing the uh, hottest mixes from Ogus Cantina down in Batu, and so you get down to uh, the planet, and then you go out to Galaxy's Edge. Well, with your VIP badge, a little Fast Pass badge, uh, you don't have to wait in lines. Not very long lines, anyway. Um, we first thing we did when we went down, and before there's a lot of crowd. Rise of the Resistance. So we go, and a cast member says, no, 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 this is your line over here. And there's this big empty queue. And we just go straight on in. And as soon as we got there, like, people that were in line, they would let us dip right Like with MechaCon, how we did the gold passes. Yep. You, you went you went ahead. That was part of the VIP experience. Um, so we got to get on there very quick. Um, and, of course, we experienced a ride like every it's just ridiculous. And then immediately after, I wanted to go to Smuggler. That, too, same exact thing. As soon as we got there, you know, basically they told everybody else, hang on a second, these guys got to come. And we, because they knew we had a limited amount of surface, you know, before we had to go back up to the Star Cruiser. So we went on Smuggler's Run, which was great. And um, they actually have a little extra thing on Smuggler's Run at the end. That uh, said, oh, oh, you're some of those fancy star crew. Well, we'll be in touch as we deliver the. And you're like, wait, what? So apparently they knew when we went into the pod smugglers run that, hey, these are Halcyon people. Put the Halcyon program on. So at the end of the ride, we got a special message from Hondo that, you know, because we were on the star cruiser. Mm-hmm. So, Okay, that's not for everybody. That's really cool. So then you get out and you see that your your um, data pad has all kinds of missions on the uh, surface of the planet. So you go and you explore back to. But so we get back to the ship, and as soon as we get to the ship, Wraith Cole is like, "Hey, okay, we have uh, Hondos in, incoming. We gotta uh, take this bridge." And we're like, "Wait, what?" And he's like, "We we have to, you know, commandeer the bridge." But if if the crew comes in, just tell them that I was trying to show y'all some patrols and stuff. Like, okay, so we we uh, use what we learned in bridge training from the night before to continue our mission that we had from Batu with Hondo, as he delivers the cargo that we stole in Smuggler's Run to the Halcyon. And um, you know, I don't again, I don't want to say too much about it because I spoil it for people. But, you know, it, it was so immersive that they actually blended the experience of being at Galaxy's Edge with being on the Halcyon. And, uh, it was just, by the time we left, it was, it was 44 hours total. By the time we left, it felt like five days. We did so much in such a short time. And all of it was just completely immersive in Star Wars. We lived Star Wars. We lived a week of Star Wars in two days. And it was an unforgettable experience. I ugly cried at the end of it. I mean, I was getting hugged from the mates and stuff. Uh, Captain Keevan, uh, I think she kind of started to tear up too when she saw my old butt, uh, crying like I was and everything. But I was not, I was not ashamed. I was ugly crying. I was thanking them all for the experience of a lifetime. Told them I waited 50 years to, to do something like that, to experience that. And, they did not disappoint, and every single person 
I'm eternally grateful to that served on that ship, every single cast member. Uh, they gave me a life-changing experience. And, um, yeah, it, uh, I, I, I'm deeply saddened that so many people will never, never get to know this experience. It's just, it's tragic, and in my opinion, that they, they're closing it before people can, can do it. Yeah, it really sucks because, like I said earlier, after seeing your photos earlier this year, I really was, you know, early planning and thinking that, you know, maybe a, a couple of years from now, I would drag Nathan and a couple other friends and we'd go out there and yeah. experience it. Um, so to, you know, not have that opportunity anymore, to me, it really sucks. And it really sounds like, you know, someone on a whole new level, because if there's one thing that and I say this like I've been at, I've been to Galaxy's Edge uh, three times now. Um, if there's one thing that Disney can do, they do a really good job at like, you know, sucking uh, you into the experience. Like um, I, I've like one of my favorite uh, things to do at uh, Galaxy's Edge. And this is like my wife's favorite ride, too, is uh, um the uh, Rise of Resistance, where, you know, yeah. you, uh, where you're supposed to be, like, simulating, like, you know, you're acting, you and the people who are riding are supposed to be people who have just joined the Resistance. They, like, you know, simulate as if you've been, like, captured by the First Order or, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, but, so... It's when those doors open and you walk into that hang oh. and you see that big window with that Star Destroyer outside. Oh, my God, that was, that was a for me. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, there's a photo that Peter took of me and Travis looking around, and he called it pure joie. Because <laughs> it's, uh, it's just the two of us in heaven. You know, in that hangar, just looking at, at everything. And of course, the First Order officer would document your failure. But, uh, no, I get it, man. I get it. That, yeah, that but it, just like the experience that you described, though, from... Uh, Elected Star Cruiser, though, that sounds like something on a whole new level. I mean, I just, and I'm really just hoping that Disney can do something just like that because I got to give Disney credit when it comes to these rides. It really does feel like you're in Star Wars with some of these rides. Yeah, this was unprecedented. No one's ever done anything like that. And uh, I know because in my limited capacity, I, um, with MechaCon, again, I tried uh, Preston Station and. Uh, I knew I had to, you know, rely a lot on people's imaginations. Disney made it to where, yes, as long as you put the imagination in, complete the experience. But they did a lot of the work. And um, it it was, it's like I said, unprecedented. No one's ever done anything like this before. And Disney says it was a learning experience. Uh, I just, I feel like just the timing was, it, it came out at the wrong time in human history. Yep. Uh, it would be before its time, maybe? No, I don't think it would be before its time. I just think that's bad between uh, it opening at the end of a pandemic and yeah. um, the economy tanking like it did in 2022. Um, it just, you know, I mean, it, the, the timing of that, because when they first started planning this back in 2017, you know, economy was on the rise. People were doing good. People were able to have a little extra spending money. And they were on track for, hey, people people can pay this if they really want to. And frankly, if there hadn't been a pandemic, economy hadn't dropped, there'd be more people that would have been able to get cruises. But when you're paying three times the amount for chicken, four times the amount for bread, 
you know, you got to survive before you go into the car cruiser. Oh, I was fortunate because I saved before the economy. Yeah. Came. You know, and uh, and uh, people have all their, their theories. and so many armchair theorists about why the galactic. You know, and and the thing is that financially, it was not a success for Disney. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons for that. But in every other way, it was a phenomenal success. And Disney sees it that way. Uh, in everything they tried to do, everything they tried to accomplish, they did. And they did it with five stars. And, um, you know, and Disney knows that. Uh, the problem is, you know, uh, the, the pandemic made people wary about booking vacations. So people were not in a rush to do it. And when people finally started to feel comfortable to book vacations, suddenly they found themselves pinching pennies because everything, the cost of living was skyrocketing while the wages were staying the same. Don't want to get into all that, but that's part of it. Um, some people say it was the theme. Oh, well, you know, Disney should know better than the universe. Let me, let me explain something about the way things work when it comes to planning these things. And I, again, my experience with MechaCon puts me in with this. 2017, we moved from the Hilton Riverside to the Hyatt Regency, and that was when we introduced Crescent Station. That's not when we started planning Crescent Station. Crescent Station has been in the planning since 2000. It was something that I was going to try to do with the Hilton in 2014. I saw a place to do it, so we adapted it and moved it there. The thing is that you have to plan these things in advance. Disney, when they bought Star Wars in 2013, decided they were going to do a sequel trilogy. They were going to do a, a part of Disney World that was going to be a land, and they were going to do all these things for it. But what they were going to do was they were going to do something new. They were going to make a new trilogy, and they were going to base it on that because it's Star Wars, and everybody loves Star Wars. When they made this trilogy, that theme of what they were going to carry their characters. That's their IP, you know, and so when they started planning this stuff while these movies were being made before the first one even came out in 2015, you know, all the plans were being set down for Galaxy's Edge to take place in that era. The plans were being made for the Galactic Star Cruiser to take place in that era. And by the time Rise of Skywalker came out and Galaxy's Edge was opening, people were just like, well, hey, you know, a lot of people were like, well, we're not, we're not big fans of this sequel. Yeah, well, <laughs> Hey, look, it's Batu. We got the first star, Kylo Ren and stuff. Yay. You know, because Disney was expecting it to be a hit. And honestly, if you look at the way Star Wars goes, in 20 years, it will be. The kids who, the kids who saw it now, they, when they're adults, they're gonna, they're gonna love it just the way the people are now about the prequels. I remember the prequels. I remember people hating on them. I remember people, you know, uh, People talk about how Ahmed Best got death threats. Yeah, he did. I remember when it was happening. Lloyd got death threats, yeah. too. Yeah. The point where he's not an actor. I remember that era really well. Really? He's not? No. Yeah. Jake Lloyd stopped. Wow. But, like, even Hayden Christensen stopped acting for him. And I'm so, so glad that he and Ahmed Best have finally gotten the reception of the fandom that they deserve. Because... Frankly, they were told to do a job, and they did the job exactly. Yeah, the job of what they did. They never deserved any of the hate they. Gave. But I digress. That the point I'm making with that is that people who used to 
crap all over the prequels. Now, oh, it's the sacred text, you know? And in 20 years, that's how people are going to be with the sequel trilogy. They're going to be like, oh, the sacred text, because you know what's going to happen? Just the same way Clone Wars came along and made you rethink how you saw the prequels, that's what's going to happen with the sequels. The stuff yep. that Dave Filoni and John Favreau work on right now, it'll put your prequels in a, I mean, the sequels on a whole new perspective. And by the time they're all said and done, and they filled in a lot of the blanks, people are going to be like, you know, these movies are the best ever. Yeah, because it's something that me and Nader were discussing, discussing in a different podcast in the future. Um, but this is something that I've noticed throughout Star Wars. Is, yeah, you're right. 20 years ago, prequels sucked. I was one of the people that said I didn't like any of the sequels, but then because Don Russo got me into Clone Wars. Um, changed your perspective. It changed my perspective quite a bit. And, you know, Clone Wars, Rebels, that that really set up. And, you know, in, in the first podcast we did for Jedi Squadron, Nate, you remember this, I said my favorite piece of history, like if you were to ask me what my favorite war is across anything, you know, a lot of people might say World War Two, World War One, or whatever. My answer, without missing a beat, would have been Clone Wars because that was this phenomenal, interesting yeah. war that I I found very fascinating to me. Right, and I mean the thing is, is that Galactic Star Cruiser actually gives you a whole perspective of the sequel trilogy as well. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't a fan. I didn't hate on it like people did. I thought that what Ryan Johnson did was gutsy. And the thing that I like the most about uh, The Last Jedi is um, at the end, it made me feel like I felt when I was a kid and saw Empire. Our heroes weren't safe, that the entire resistance could fit on the Millennium Falcon, that they just weren't safe. It's like, how do you overcome these overwhelming odds? Oh, my God, what are our heroes going to do? Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt at the end of The Last Jedi. But other than that... Rise of Skywalker came out. I hated it. I, I thought it was terrible. Um, it's still, to me, not a great movie. But I got a little misty-eyed by the end. And part of it was part of the experience on the Star Cruiser. Um, my, uh, sorry, I share my office with my dog. I text my wife to come get him. Oh, there she is. Come get him, please. Thank you. All the time, I've just been thinking that you have a Chewbacca with you. But, um, you know, we've been hearing a dog for a while. I'm like, dang, this is uh, it's like John and Chewbacca hanging out in the office. Yeah, he he's, he's a full-size German Shepherd, so we really don't have any place else in this kennel, so it's in my office, which mm-hmm. I'm with. He's my buddy. He's my best friend. Yeah. Hang out with but, uh, so anyway, what I was saying about how the Galactic Star Cruiser made me change my opinion of sequel trilogy, it was little moments. Like, one of the things is they had an actor and that was portraying Ray on, on board Starker's and she looked a lot like Daisy and stuff. But um, we weren't on the Resistance track and we weren't on the First Order track. Um, Travis and I were just wandering around and we wandered into the climate simulator and we happened upon a Resistance meeting where Ray was holding a meeting with all the people who were sympathetic to the resistance. And so Travis and I decided we were just going to kind of sit against the wall and observe, and nobody really questioned that we were in there. 
And at the end of it, when everyone was filing out, the, the actress who played Ray kind of walked close to me. And I just I've had a moment. I felt compelled, and I, and I acted on it. And I said, hey, Ray. And she turned looked at me. She goes, yes. I said, may the force be with you. And she just kind of gives me a slight smile and says, and with you. And then she walked away. And that exchange. That's really awesome. Magical to me. In that moment, not only was I in Star Wars, but I was talking to Ray. And I, it, I can't put it into words, really. It was just a core memory was formed there that I will never forget. doesn't matter that it wasn't. It was Ray. And yeah. I lived a moment where I got to say the word to Ray. And it was, it was changing the way I felt about the sequel trilogy, the way, the, the way I felt about the characters. Um, Kylo Ren does make an appearance. I'm not going to say much about that. Uh, mm-hmm. But I will say that afterwards, I went back and watched the films again, and I was kind of curious how I was going to feel watching the sequel trilogy again after having been on the Star Trek. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot more than before. Because I lived in that part of Star Wars for a while. I lived in the sequel era for, for two days, just two days. It was enough to now make that something that I've grown from tolerating to a flourishing love for. Uh, in fact, I hated Resistance, uh, the uh, animated series. When it came out, I didn't like it. Uh, I recently watched the first episode again. And I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of ready to watch it now. And I think that my perspective of that series has changed as well. And I'm going to enjoy seeing the First Order on board the Colossus again and that stuff, you know, playing out. Because it's going to remind me of my own, you know. And um, the Star Cruiser is what did that. It 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 really enhanced my appreciation for the star recent Star Wars we've had. Um, and of course, with what Dave Filoni and John Favreau are doing, they're planting all the seeds to make more sense of the sequel trilogy. Um, okay, Chewie, thank you. Uh, and um, I think that, you know, I really wish, again, I, and I've said this a few times now, I really wish people would have had the opportunity to it it was Disney Magic at its finest and um that I it'll be really hard pressed to see if Disney does anything near, near as ambitious as this again, not for a while anyway. And it saddens me a lot. Do you think so there are a lot of people on media saying this should have been set in either the prequel or the original trilogy time frame. What do you think? I think if you want to be safe, you do it in the original time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think Disney was looking at safe when they bought it. I think they wanted to be innovative. I think they wanted to take the next step, not regurgitate the same thing. Because, you know, look, I've read The Legend. Let's face it, it kind of got a little repetitive after a while. I mean, Eugene Vong aside, you know, it, 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 it was all the same characters. 
in the same setting, in the same universe, there weren't a lot of risks being taken because everybody was trying to stay within the established canon, uh, which we see how that turned out for. <laughs> but, you know, um, it they took a chance, and I got to respect that they took a chance on something. And um, I wish that Colin Trevorrow's film would have had an option. Um, I think that they, because of the backlash they got from Last Jedi, they decided to go by going back to J.J. Abrams, basically remade four films again. Um, but I, I think that, again, by the time Disney realized that the fandom wasn't warming up to the sequel trilogy, it was too late. By then, it was too late. They All the die had been cast. All the... Um, the, the park was already being built for a sequel era Batu. The hotel was already being built for a sequel era Star Cruise. Um, and I, I think that they they kind of held to their to their guns. And I think part of what led to the decision to close down the Star was they see now that the Mandalorian era, the, the New Republic era, is their cash cow. And there's no way to have redone the Star Cruiser to uh, rebrand it without it jarring the whole experience with that. Um, for me, an ideal situation, if they're going to do a rebranding of, of all of that, would be to, uh, if they're going to shut down a Star Cruiser, shut down a Star Cruiser. Say, Star Cruiser, as you know it, is no longer going to happen. And then in a few months, put out word that, hey, Galaxy's Edge is closing for renovation for a while. And then two or three months later, Galaxy's Edge reopens, rethemed to their current New Republic era, whatever they want to do. And they reopen Star Cruiser six months later in that same time frame, which was when it was um, during the era of the novel Princess and the Scoundrel, where Chandrilla Starlines had just bought the uh, cruise ship from, and had just basically because it was an Empire ship before and uh, it would have been, you know, it, it would be a, a fresh freshly remodeled Chandrilla Starlight ship. Not one that's been in service 30 years on the Chandrilla Starlight, you know. Uh, to me, that would have been an ideal situation. Will that happen? Probably not, but I mean, one can still hope. I'm really hoping they don't tear the building down. I, I really still do something. Yeah, I mean, I hope they do something with it because they put a lot of money into that building. Well, they did. I mean, four hundred million. They could make it a, you know, a stripped down hotel version where just another room for the night. But here, here's the other thing too. How do you do that without all the people who went going back and feeling like it's less than what it was? Disney's not in the habit of stepping down from things. Disney likes to push and go further, and if something doesn't work, rather than dial it back, they'll change it to something that does work. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't foresee them dialing it back in from what it was initially. But um, yeah, I'm sure you can hear my voice. I'm very passionate about stuff. Um, yeah, that that that's the part I really wanted to hit on with getting that passion out in the world. Uh, in a way that people could hear it. Because, you know, written word, posting it, it's one thing, but to hear it, 
hear your experiences. I mean, you know, I really wish I could have gone and experienced it as a child. And hearing you talk about it, you know, like that, hearing you talk for the last hour or so about your experiences, that, that gives me another fresh light into what could have been yeah. for me and Nate and a couple other friends, you know, if we had gone to it. And honestly, if the, if the world hadn't changed in 2020 like it did, I think that it'd still be open. Oh, yeah. That we were on track for a really wonderful thing and just the universe decided now's not the time. Um, yeah. I don't know. Things with Star Wars are changing. Um, we got, as, as we recently found out, we've got a huge expanded thing coming out with Star Wars. Uh, where Disney is going to go with the park and the remnants of the Star Cruiser. Who knows? But Disney. Uh, Bob Iger, I, I don't blame him for what he did. I really wish that he he had done differently, but his job was to come in and save, like, what was it, four bill, $4.4 billion? Mm-hmm. And he did his job. You know, I, I can't be angry at Disney for saying, hey, this isn't working. I think that they just needed to give it more time. I think that the bookings would have gone back up. Um, I mean, it, to me, it was it, it was a no-brainer that bookings started to diminish as bread got more expensive, as chicken got more expensive, as everything got more expensive. Um, yeah. You know, people have to live life before you know on a vacation. Hundred percent agreed. What's that? I said hundred percent agreed. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that they said was the problem was, well, we didn't get the repeat respect. Yeah, you were, you just didn't get the time. I mean, when our last day there, when we were having breakfast in the Crown of Corellia uh, dining room, I, I looked around and I, I said to the guys, no, this can't be the one and only time. It can't be a one and done. We got to come back. And I'm like, we agree. And I was like, you know what? Let's make it. Let's make a pact right now. We will come back in five years. Said so we we will start saving now. I said figure it's about thirteen hundred dollars a person. If we start saving now in five years, that's totally doable. If you think about that, I said you're talking about less than three hundred dollars a year to save. Yeah, you know, and and we can do that. We can all do that. And everybody's like, yeah, we totally can do that. So all right, awesome. Next year, I mean, uh, in five years, last weekend of the year, we're gonna come. We're gonna do this again. And we made that agreement right then and there. We were. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of withdrawal that getting off the Star Cruiser because Peter and I were like, I don't know if I can got to go back. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, Star Trek fans will understand it from uh, the movie Star Trek Generations. Character Tolly and Thorin, who came out of the Nexus, uh, just had this overwhelming urge to go back no matter what, which led to the death of Captain Kirk. Uh, but he just had this overwhelming need to get back there. That's kind of how it felt with the Star Cruiser because it was all our, our fantasies, childhood, throughout our entire lives of, of this galaxy far, far away come to fruition, come to life. And, you know, when you go back, you know, you hear about post-con depression after a convention weekend, everybody's a little depressed because, you know, the convention's over, good times are over, and you have to go back to the world. Imagine that times 100. Oh, Lord. That's how it was. You know, there are there are groups on, on Facebook called Post Voyage Support Groups. And we, we basically talk about our, our voyages and you know, we uh 
it, that that group helped keep my my uh, my sanity, you know, with with all of this because you know if if I didn't have them to, you know, talk about the memories with and talk about the thing with, and people go, yeah, that was, you know, it, you know, you build a community, and that that's one of the things that this this experience has done that every person who is has engaged and been part of this in a positive manner is a part of these communities, and they will all agree that. I don't know how I would have coped with the uh, decompression of the Star Cruiser without, you know. And, um, you know, in fact, I have a friend of mine who was able to book a passage. And, um, and I'm, I'm kind of preparing her. And I, I already gave her the links. To her. So I'll be there. I'll be there to give you a hug when you get back. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, there there's a lot of Things. But you know what I, I do want to say about closure of the start and the fans, especially the fans who've been hating all day one and saying all manner of unsavory things about an experience they've never even, you know, all these armchair theorists and uh, all all these armchair quarterbacks who thought they knew what they were talking about. And said, oh, the Star Wars hotel, the concrete bunker, you can't leave. Like, first off, you have no idea, people. And secondly, for those of you who were smiling and taking a victory lap when they announced the closing, you're just making a clown of yourself because nobody won. Not a single one of us won in this situation. I didn't win. Yeah. Didn't win. Disney didn't win. Star Wars didn't win. Nobody won. This was a loss all around. And I hope that every one of those people who are taking that victory lap saying, ah, dude, fail. You know what? Congratulations. You were right. You still didn't win. We all lost. Yeah, because even if they are taking the victory lap, there's still the entire, the, the fandom lost something. Like, it always sucks. Even if you don't like it, when something in our fandom, any fandom, it's not with the right reception, it's closed down or it's, just lost forever. It's a hole. And that's a hole that I think this fandom has to deal with. And that's sad, you know, that we have the big hole that we have to try and figure out how to deal with this now. It's sad that we just have a fandom that at this point just actively wants to see Star Wars fail. Like it it just I don't know. That breaks my heart, honestly. It honestly it, and you know, I, I bring it back to the EU purists and it's like all these people who haven't gotten over the fact that Disney bought Star Wars and they hate everything that Disney has put out there. It's like, okay, y'all, it's it's been ten years. Time to let it go. Yeah. It, Disney's got Star Wars. They're doing stuff with it, whether you like it or not. It, it's, it's irrelevant. They are not letting the property sit. More has happened with Star Wars in the last ten years than in the last forty years combined. And like it or hate it, Disney, you know, is definitely doing something. Right. And I think that with, like with anything, footing is going to be shaky at first, but once you get your sea legs, which is, I think, exactly what they found with Dave Filoni and John Favreau, once you get your sea legs, it's going to be spectacular. That's how oh, yeah. you start to see what Disney can really do with Star Wars. And uh, all the people hate to this day everything that Disney does and, and stuff, and 
was still hanging on to to bring back the EU legends and stuff. It's like, look, those were great for their time, but I completely understood when when Disney said that they were getting rid of uh, all of Legends and they were just keeping the the movies and the Clone Wars and that was it. I I got it. I, I figured out, I was like, yeah, I totally get that. They just bought a new property. They don't want to be bogged down by this history that all these other people made that wasn't George Lucas. So they took what George Lucas made and said, this is our canon from here. on." I can't blame them because the Legends kind of the Legends history is so convoluted, and half the stuff that they complain about in the new canon is stuff that the Legends continuity is just as guilty of. Like, they complain about how Palpatine got brought back in The Rise of Skywalker. Palp- there's a clone of Palpatine in the Thrawn trilogy, which is one of the most beloved... All from the Dark Empire. One of the most beloved uh, n- novel series. They complain about how, like... There were still, like, you know, Kylo Ren, like, defeated the new Jedi Order, and, you know, a new thing took over, disregarding the fact that, like, there's a whole nother era past Luke's time where his Jedi Order has been wiped out by another empire. Like, I mean, 90% of the stuff that they complain about in this new canon is stuff that's there in the EU. And You you know what's one of the things that I find hilarious now with those complaints is now that Filoni and Favreau have been cherry-picking from the and, and taking certain elements and bringing them into canon, which should be making people ecstatic. They're going, oh, well, they're just stealing stuff from the EU. They should have just done that to begin with. It's like, really? Or can you just not ever be happy? Because they're, you know, nothing, you know, they're giving you exactly what you want. You're still finding a way to bitch about it. But see, the thing is, Favreau and Filoni are not just cherry-picking, but I think they're keeping a very tight lid on the continuity to not have things that maybe not in sync, maybe um, plot holes. They're trying to eliminate all that because, you know, I don't know a lot about the Legends continuity all that much. I listened to Nathan's podcast on Linker Mind's Eye last week and, you know, just listen to that one explanation of that book. That tells me that there's a lot of issues in the Legends continuity that you can never reconcile if you keep everything from that continuity in play. Right. Like, you know, I think Nate said in that podcast that, um, you know, Luke and Leia were not meant to be siblings at that point in time, because at that point in time, there was no indication of it, but they were more kind of being geared to be possible lovers in the future. Like, do we really think a continuity that has those kind of problems it's better than what's going on right now. And I think the answer is no. I think what we're doing right now, while there's some obvious issues, but still, I think we're moving in the right direction at least. Yeah. And like I said, like like with anything that's their first time out, they're going to have trouble, you know, they're going to be a little wobbly until they get their sea leg. Yeah. And that's that's what happened with Disney. And if you really think about, um, you know, somebody actually posted today, do you think that Disney will sell Star Wars to Warner Brothers? I was like, are you out of your mind? I don't And it's like, the thing is, when I heard that Disney bought Star Wars, I was over the moon ecstatic. People were like, what? Disney? Oh my God, look at me, people. And it's like, y'all don't understand. Any other company that would have had Star Wars was going to mismanage it. Disney was the only logical choice 
for Lucas to sell to. Because if he'd have sold to New Line, if he'd have sold to Warner Brothers, if he'd have sold to Universal or Paramount, you'd have gotten, if it was Paramount, you'd have gotten Star Wars, Rise of the Beasts. Mm-hmm. You know, if it had been, you know, Fox, well, I don't even want to talk about what, what Fox would have done with it if they had bought the franchise because they mismanaged Aliens, Predator, and Terminator. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, all these other companies have mismanaged their own property so much. None of them were going to do Star Wars right except for Disney. I believe that from the core of my being, and I believe that from the day that I heard about the sale. And I think George Lucas made the right choice choice, the right call. Putting Kathleen Kennedy in charge, not so sure. But I think selling to Disney was the right call. And I think Disney was where Star Wars logically needed to evolve to. Yeah. And Galaxy's Edge is proof positive of that. No one else, no one else, not even Universal, would have done quite the job that Disney did. Well again, you have the Disney Imagineers. That's an entire core of people dedicated to just making stuff like this. And and that alone means whatever experience they make at the parks is going to be a superior quality to anything you get anywhere else. I'm sorry to say it, you know, but right. it's just a fact of nature to me. Oh, I know people who live in Orlando passes, and they'll tell you the difference is there when you go to Universal versus you go to Disney. You know, yes. you can see it in, in, in the corners, in, in the areas that people don't normally look, you know. You you can see the difference in you know the just maintenance and stuff like that. Um, I'm not saying that you know Universal nasty by any sense. I'm just saying that their attention to all tiny little details, like I talked about with that poster, not as high up there as Disney. You know, and yeah. uh, the the Star Cruiser was their magnum opus, and it's a shame that the fandom didn't embrace it the way they did. It's a shame that the pandemic came when it did. It's a shame when it did. It was just a perfect storm of things that just led Bob Iger to go, no, I know some people like this. A lot of people seem to hate it, but we could save a lot of money if we just shutter it. And that's what yeah. they did. They made a business call, and I got to respect it. Bitching about it, it's not going to change anything. Lamenting about it, it's not going to change anything. Heartbroken, saddened by it, absolutely. Do I understand why they did it? Absolutely. Do I wish that they would change it? Absolutely. But the fact of the matter is it comes down to dollars. And let's face it, CEOs and bean counters never felt the pressure from the economy tanking the way folks like us did. And yeah. they probably didn't even factor it in. They, probably, they just were like, oh, Star Wars fans aren't buying return trips. Well, they weren't the ones struggling to buy a loaf of bread. Yeah, I mean, Disney in general is just kind of yeah. going through a bit of an – I know this isn't entirely related to Star Wars, but Disney is kind of in a similar era of where its brand is being kind of eroded. Like, you know, back when I was a kid, it was kind of being eroded by them releasing a bunch of uh, direct-to-video sequels that aren't really that great. Like era. And now yeah. in a similar era where – they're now spamming uh, us with a bunch of, uh, you know, live-action remakes of their old movies. Like one that just got released, The Little Mermaid, which, I mean, they're not as bad. Oh, that movie is fantastic. Don't you say a bad thing about that movie. I went and saw that movie the other night, and it was beautiful. No, I know. Yeah. It's just, like, you know, a lot of people want to see a bit more variety instead of, like, remakes of what they've already done. And some of them are good. I mean, I, I'm sure The Little Mermaid is great, and I liked, I liked Aladdin. 
Well, I, I will say this about Little Mermaid is that they largely kept to the story that everyone knows, but they did do something. They did change some things, and I like the changes that they made to make it. Um, you know, it, this isn't a spoiler, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. One of the things that they did was they changed the setting of Little Mermaid from Denmark. Oh, okay, to that's interesting. And by doing that, you had a whole new culture that could be shown when Ariel is learning about the human world. A lot more colorful culture, a lot more musically inclined culture, you know. And I thought that that was that was a brilliant change that they made to the movie. That was just, you know, it. They didn't have to do it, you know. Some people say, "Oh, they did it because they want to be woke." No, I think they did it because they wanted to freshen up the story a little bit. I didn't think you needed to stay in Denmark. It doesn't have to be in the same place. It could be a different altogether. Right, and I just. I'm not going to bad about um, the movie I haven't seen. My point was that, like, the live-action remakes are more like just – not to say that they're all bad. Like, I mean, none of them are nearly as bad as their direct-to-video sequels that they made. But um, but right. it's like people – like, in general, Disney has just kind of developed a reputation of, like, rehashing a lot of what people already like instead of trying to do different things, like – that that was right. my main point. Take the same. Yeah. And that, in a lot of ways, is hurting Disney yeah. as well, which might have had an indirect thing to do with, like, them ha- being in a financial position where they might have to shut this down on top of the pandemic and everything. Right. Well, I mean, and the thing is, and and I, I was working the stock during Disney took a hit. Disney took a hard hit by them having to close down the parks like they did for months at a time like they did, that was a huge financial for Disney. And honestly, I just think that what it came down to was Iger needed to cut some corners and the Star Crew. It's really I know I know that 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 doesn't you know that that doesn't glorify it in any way, shape or form as a uh uh, a victim of uh, budget cuts. That's what it came down to. And uh, they just said, instead of uh, lessening, it's going to close. Because if they were try cutting corners here and there, you know, they it wouldn't have been the, the it wouldn't have been the right route to take. Yeah. So, you know, from someone who had an event that I closed it before I could let it become something it wasn't meant to be, I get that. Um, honestly, I'm not glad at all about them closing the Star Crew, but I'm glad they're doing that instead of cutting corners and cheapening it into a shell of what it was before. Man, Don, it sounds really familiar to me. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's true. That's that's what it comes down to. Because Eisner, uh, not Eisner, Eiger, um, he, he toured parks. He toured the Star Cruiser. He was going around. I got friends that work. You know, he was going around looking to save money on. And when he got to the Star Cruiser, people got nervous. Like, he really can't cut things from this without cheapening the experience. And I think, I didn't realize that. And I just said, well, can't keep the experience, can't cut the experience down. So we got to do what we got to do. Yeah. You know, and, uh, 
I feel like I, you know, I made a post not long ago about how I was taking the closure of the Star Cruiser extremely hard. And, um, I, I came to realize that part of that was because of my own feelings about having Necrocon. Mm-hmm. And, um, because there's a lot of similarities there. And it hurts. It hurts a lot. And I, I realize that a lot of people who, who saw Mechacon as their yearly event. I know it hurt a lot of people, but I did what I felt needed to be done to preserve the memory of Mechacon to where people would always remember Mechacon now one two. I kind of feel like this is the same thing with Starkers by closing it instead of cutting corners. They're at least preserving its legacy. Yeah. You know, in, in, in 10 years time, it's going to become, you know, the stuff of legends. People can be like, Hey, remember when start, when they did the, uh, the hotel, Galactic Star? Yeah. Do you ever, you know, anybody ever went? Yeah, I do. And he said it with the most, you know, and it just, it's just one of those things. It's going to go into legend as one of the most ambitious, amazing, Star Wars experience that anybody could have. And um, until Disney does something somewhere again, it, it's going to be a, a real loss to the fandom. So all the people taking victory laps, just keep on smiling because you have no idea what you're talking about. And that, that really is, that's really deep, Son. I'm, I'm so thankful that we had a chance to get you on here because this is exactly what I was kind of thinking needs to be put out into the world. Um, about the experience to kind of combat the stuff where people are saying, oh, it might be too expensive, it was just a gimmick, it wasn't worth it, or any of the other things that were coming out of it, you know? Like, I'm so glad we got a chance to bring you on here for this. Well, I'm glad that you gave me the opportunity. Um, I, if I'd have known they were going to close the cruiser, I would have been shouting this from the rooftops, making sure everybody knew, go do this before it's too late. Yeah. I didn't, it, it caught me out of left field. I never in a million years. And by the time that it was announced, I was shook by it that, you know, the, 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 the final voyages when they were live on the 26th, was that uh, day before yesterday? They sold out in a matter of hours. And, um. That's not surprising. Say, oh, well, that's just because it was the final show. Yeah, because people knew that was their one and only opportunity. Yeah. They were to get gone, you know? And, um, to my friend who was able to book it, I'm very happy for her, and I, you know, I hope the stars light her way to the most amazing experience of her life. I know they will. Um, and to all the cast and actors who I've actually come to know some of them on announcement, uh, I wish them all the best. Um, I hope that they'll find new places at Galaxy's Edge. I really hope that some of these characters uh, I would love, love, love for them to do a Celine Dion style concert hall where people go into Galaxy, a Gaia show, and be able to see Gaia and race again. Because these characters became your friend mm-hmm. in this experience that you had. Much like I don't know how it was for other people. Yeah, you know I. I was uh, a lonely child. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in my playing with my Star Wars toys. 
And those figures were my friends. Chewbacca, Han Solo, Pernalea, Luke Skywalker, C-3PO, R2-D2, Ben Kenobi, all of them, they were my friends. They were the ones that I knew after I had a really crappy day at school. Play with my action figures and everything right with This was that, but for adults. And these were living, breathing characterizations that you came to love. And as heartbreaking as this is, I still have the hope that I'll be able to see them again at somewhere. And I hope that that Disney will at least give us. We're hoping for you, John, and I'm hoping that we do get the chance one day to check it out ourselves because, like I've been saying for the last bit, uh, this is something I really regret we couldn't get a chance to do. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just, it's so crazy that it's ending as quick as it began, honestly. like Just timing. Timing. Yeah. I really think it's just the economy. And it's, it's, they really, coming off of the loss that they had, in the stocks and stuff due to the pandemic, they really needed a super win with this and the economy just prohibited that from happening. Yeah. You know, so in closing, um, I think we're kind of getting to the end of our time for the, I'm not going to go on long. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're good. You're good. I, you know, um, want to try and wrap up soon. Um, John, do you have any last words you'd want to say about, I know you said a lot of last words about it, but do you have anything you'd want to say in closing about your experience, the event, um, things you're hopeful for to see in the future, anything that, you know, you want to say to our viewers, listeners in the audience? My faith in Disney. Um, they misstepped. They did. And the marketing for this was horrendous. Um, but I think at the end of the day, Disney knows what they have. They want to deliver something great to the fans. They want to deliver Star Wars that you'll and I think that people especially the people who've been hating on them for the last ten years, it's time to realize, okay, it's been ten years, griped enough. Give them a chance. I know that you say you gave a sequel, but you know what? They were in their infancy. They didn't know what they were doing. They're finally putting the right people in the right places to do the right things and we're getting some great content for it. Um and I just think that it's only going to get better and bigger and better from here. And I think that, you know, just I think Disney needs to be cut some slack after this and give them a chance to, to, to fix their missteps, do a better job. And, you know, it, the fans will never be 100% happy. There's way too much. But I just hope that people would at least give them a chance before they start bitching and complaining about it like they did with this hotel. Just Give it a chance. Experience it for yourself before you start the negative. You know, and I know that's not going to happen because that's the nature of the fandom. But that's that's my wish. I wish that people would just give Disney another chance. Everybody deserves a second chance. Still to this day, think Disney is the logical to have taken possession from from George Lucas and. um yeah, the future can be bright as long as you have uh, faith. So I have faith in Disney. I, I hope other people share that faith with me, that they'll continue to make Star Wars bigger and better, despite whatever missteps we're dealing with in the process. Yeah. 
And I, I was, I was on the record and say I have faith in Disney. I, I think Nathan will also agree with me on that. Um, we, we see a bright future for that coming out and I see it being really good. But um, we are hitting the end of time, so Don, I appreciate it. Yeah, we really appreciate having you. It's our honor to have you on here. And well, I I just want to put it out there. Uh, you know, I'm a big Star Wars fan. If, if come in on any topics or something Star Wars, you guys are talking. Participate. I enjoy this. I already decided that when we do our first Clone Wars review, I'm dragging you in because I feel like it's symbolic that the person Me, who got the Clone Wars be present. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be happy to. So, happy yeah. To. So with that, um, thanks for uh, your time today, Don. And for those of y'all listening back at home, uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Nathan and I are going to be delving into what is the correct order to watch Star Wars movies in. And I got thoughts on that. So you need to tell me. I'm, I'm going to send you a list. I, got, I just recently came up with a method, and it was phenomenal. Well, we'll take a look and we'll put into our next episode. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Yeah. But uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, As always, definitely check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Uh, Give us a rating, comment, like, whatever the medium allows you to do. And uh, thank you. May the force be with you. And we will talk to you all soon. As they say in the Galactic Star Cruiser, may the stars light your way. Taboo Ate.